Thank you for joining us for the 2022 NACDD President's Challenge podcast series. I'm your host, Christy Peer, NACDD Board President from the Maryland Department of Health. In this series, we are talking with leaders around the country about resilience and well-being in our communities, our teams at work, and ourselves to identify ways to apply lessons learned in public health. We are framing the conversations in four categories or buckets based on the socio-ecological model, societal, community, interpersonal, and individual. Resilience is defined broadly, typically dependent on the context. Ann Maston's definition of resilience frames the goals, the capacity of a system to adapt successfully to disturbances that threaten the viability, function, or development of the system. So let's get started. On today's episode of our President's Challenge podcast, we're talking with Lamar Lewis of Lewis Family Counseling. We will be taking a look at what we can do at the individual level to promote resilience and well-being in our team members. Welcome, Lamar Lewis. We're so happy for you to join us today. Can you tell us a little bit more about the Lewis Family Consulting and how they work with public health organizations on leadership development centered around building resilience and developing a culture of success? Yes. Thank you for for the opportunity to chat today. This is something that I'm passionate about. I'm really excited about the opportunity to kind of just share some of my personal and professional experience related to uh, resilience, wellness, staff success, self-care, and all of that. But long answer to a short question, how we connect with public health institutions is really, I'm a therapist by training. I try to approach organizations from a therapist perspective, constantly assessing not say what's wrong, assessing areas of growth and then continuing to build on strengths while identifying areas of growth and helping to uh, bridge that gap. I'm utilizing successful processes and systems that we already are using at various organizations as a way to resolve current issues. As a therapist, I approach my clients as them having answers to their own problems already We just work together to help them see those answers instead of me giving them answers. And so that's very much the same process I take with public health organizations where I just offer an outside perspective. But again, I'm not approaching it like, okay, this is what's wrong. Let's fix what's wrong versus, okay, this is what's right. Let's build on that. And what are we doing correctly that will help us better support people who work, you know, in these different institutions. So. Um, again, very long answer to a short question. That's kind of how I, I slash we approach public health institutions. That's great. Thank you. So interesting. You talked about coming from a therapist point of view. I find it interesting. What really drew you to shift from, I guess, more of the personal level to the system level, especially with public health organizations? It was kind of by happenstance. I definitely I'm going to be a therapist. That's just me. I'm the guy at the grocery store. People come up to while I'm checking the berries and they're checking the grapes and they say, hey, man, you know, I had a lot going on. And they just start talking to me. I've always been that way since I was a little kid. I think that my time as an administrator in a community based behavioral health organization showed me that I can reach 
let's say I see 10 clients a week as an example. Cool. But if I can really impact at an organizational level, I could potentially reach thousands. I think when we get into these situations in work where we feel like we're the only ones dealing with these particular systemic problems. But what I found in the various trainings and workshops that I did with the region for a public health training Institute, that people from all over the country are having these same problems. So it was also a matter of me attempting to fill a need through my personal professional experience felt qualified to help address. So thinking about that big picture and looking at some of the trends that you may be seeing in the public health workforce, can you talk a little bit about that? And could you also talk about some of the key components that are also impacting resilience among the public health teams and individuals? Well, obviously we have this pandemic and that has been one of the biggest issues that I've come across over the past few years as we all have. But I think that that's led to a lot of burnout. A lot of people really reevaluating why they are doing the work they're doing and are they doing enough work and is this really what they want to do? So a lot of people wanted to make these shifts, not really wanting to work in the field. A lot of people feel undervalued in my experience. They've taken on the hard challenges they've chosen to make public health their vocation and then maybe they're not getting financially compensated like they felt like they should or maybe they're not getting enough praise from those in upper management and things of that nature. So, or the workload is increasing and there's not a benefit outside of this kind of altruistic, you're doing the most good for the most people kind of thing. Outside of that, people aren't seeing the benefit. So a lot of people are questioning, do I even want to work in public health? Do I want to work in public health in this capacity? People don't want to take on more responsibility for the same amount of pay. A lot of times people are just burnt out. And I think that's the biggest thing I've seen as of late. I think talking about some of the key components that impact specifically resilience, I think the if we could talk a little bit more about burnout, but also maybe some of the inherent or altruistic components of public health. Uh, is there anything else you can think of that impacts our resilience. For sure. I think that when we talk about burnout, we talk about overwhelm. We're talking about surpassing our capacity to manage stressors. And I think that in my experience and talking to thousands of people in various settings, that's kind of the culture of public health. I know I've been guilty of it in managerial roles, telling my staff, oh, I mean, this is the work. You kind of got to just deal with it and keep on trucking. And I think that unhealthy narrative around public health. Like you have to accept less, but give more. And then internalizing that narrative, I think is a big part of the culture of public health that creates these gaps in resilience. If we're told, Hey, you know, it's part of the job, but you just kind of got to come in early, stay late, deal with some of the most vulnerable people in our society day in, day out, providing sometimes a thankless service. And that's, to be internalized within the culture. I think that's what I've heard the most. And I think that that to me is probably one of the bigger barriers to resilience is just this almost martyr complex where we have to fall on our sword. And I think this field reaches out to people who have just a heart to give. Uh, but I think that there are limits to that. There are limits to what you can give, how much you can give, just 
in general. And so when that's your job to just give and give and give and give, and you're not getting that, that cup replenished. I think that that's again, probably one of the biggest gaps and, and you're told that feeling burnout is just part of the culture. It's part of the work and this is part of what we do. And it's oftentimes coming from people who may not even be direct care or in the field as much as others. They might be higher up and their reality is just different than a person who comes in every day and is out in the community doing this work. So I think those gaps in resilience come from that. Yeah, I really like that term, or maybe I don't necessarily like that term of gaps and resilience, but I do think that it's a very, very good definitive term. When we think about gaps and resilience, and you talked a little bit about people feeling that they're a valued member of a team, where are the areas that as, say, a team member or as a manager that we can help to address or that we have some control over some of those gaps to resilience? I'm so glad you said the term control. That's something that I definitely harp on a lot as a consultant and, and a person who deals with these type of issues day in, day out. I think a big issue that I found is many of us just humans in general just have an issue with control and concerning ourselves with things that are outside of our control. So I do think one of the biggest things that is in our control is being intentional about connecting with the staff, not just in staff meetings or yearly evaluations, you know, whether it's via emails or phone call check-ins or walking to somebody's office and saying, hey, how you doing? But building connection autonomous from these mandatory times, I think is very important. I think that a lot of times as managers, we have a very difficult job. We are, especially middle management, when you have the expectations of those above you, you have the expectations of those under you, those who you lead. And then you also have the outside pressures of the stakeholders and the people in the community that you serve. So you're in a very tough spot. And I think being aware of our boundaries and things that we struggle with helps us be better leaders to our team. Being able to say, hey, look, I just want to check in with you. I know right now we have we're pushing towards the end of the fiscal year. We got a lot of stuff to close out. I know it's a lot on me being very open and transparent while understanding and maintaining our professional boundaries. We're just letting them know, hey, I'm in this with you again, being very intentional about making connections, just like you have to turn in reports or spreadsheets or whatever it is you have to do that you're tasked with from your superiors, keeping your team uplifted and keeping the culture going is just as important as that crafting intentional time, something, a story I always tell. I used to work for Department of Family Children Services here in Georgia and my supervisor at this time, obviously they weren't paying a lot of money and my supervisor couldn't like do the donuts or whatever you would expect. But what he would do is every so often he would like hand write like notes and he would like give them to you, you know, hey, man, is he doing a great job? Keep it up kind of thing. And while at the time I didn't fully appreciate it, as I look back on it and I hear more and more people have these stories, it's like he was doing what he could do, with what he had. And he was really thoughtful and intentional about letting us know that he really cared about the work that we did and he was in it with us. And I think that that example is just one of many of people who. Just do what you can. It doesn't always have to be a big luncheon. It doesn't always have to be bonus. We all want more money, right? But 
if you can say, hey, just want to make sure you're OK, you're good. I'm here with you. I'm checking in, want to make sure everything's going all right. I think all of those opportunities for connection are very important and really vital to maintaining the morale of a team. Thank you. One of the places that we haven't really talked about yet is really empowering staff around their current skill sets. And I think that this builds off a little bit of the intentional connections that you were talking about. How do you see the link between valuing staff, helping to build their skill sets, and also their self-efficacy around this conversation around resilience? For sure. I think that that is a very poignant question. I think one of the things that worked for me that I always advocate is identifying areas where you can collaborate with the staff member or a specific project that may highlight what they're good at. I'll give a good example. I had uh, a staff member who was very creative, you know, very artsy and like to do that kind of stuff. And so at our annual client appreciation day, we discussed her taking on the logistics of as far as the design and the appearance and all that kind of stuff. And that gave her the opportunity to show some autonomy in what she was able to do. And like you said, some efficacy, but it was a way that improved the program and improved her morale because at the time she was feeling like she didn't have the same outlets to express, you know, what she really was good at. And that came from, again, being intentional about having conversations. And then when opportunities arose, identifying specific people for that, like, hey, um, such and such would be really good at this particular thing. We do it every year. It has to be done. I will admit that, you know, interior design is not my gift. So why would I take that all when I have somebody who's capable? And I think that being aware of not only people's strengths, but also the opportunities that could arise within your organization or within your program that can allow them the opportunity to exhibit where they're strong, I think is important. But again, that goes back to this intentionality and being okay with delegating some things to people and supporting them along the way, checking in with conversations, checking in with meetings. Hey, look, I know I gave you this task. I'm going to set aside about 30 minutes just to kind of talk about where things are going. And then you being on top of that aspect of it I and mean, just supporting them through that process. I think that as we continue to have discussions with you know our team, identifying areas of growth. So if, if you do that yearly meeting, you know, we all have those performance evaluations and people identify within those areas they want to grow, things they want to do. We have to be intentional about remembering and identifying those things. Hey, look, you know, um, I know you mentioned you wanted to do more crafts. There's a gap in the program where we want to, you know, develop a, a program around just arts and crafts and creative expression, and how this helps people manage stress. And that's something you think you want to spearhead for sure. And then support them through that. How can I help you? How can I support you? And that? Oh, I'll need various supplies. I'll need things like that. Having these very intentional conversations, discussing with people what they really want out of a position, I think is another thing. Like we know what the position entails on paper, but what are you hoping to get from this experience, right? How can I help you achieve your more long-term goals through this position? Sometimes you have to mold a position to a person's strengths to help them be successful. As long as it's within protocol and within what the agency deems necessary for the program, 
those adjustments could work. Maybe you have a person function in their area of expertise and kind of have a little flexibility as it relates to other areas where they may not be as strong, but we know we're focusing on these particular things. I think identifying the strengths, having these kind of intentional and exploratory conversations and approaching these relationships with a sense of curiosity, really trying to understand, okay, what is this person getting from this role? What are they not getting from it? How am I supporting them? Where are areas I can support them better? Am I really listening? Am I really intentional about these connections and things of that nature? I think being curious and intentional in regards to these conversations we have with our staff and being very consistent with having them. And I'll keep harping on those points because I think effective communication is one of the areas that I've heard a lot of people have difficulty in, whether that be interfacing with the public, whether that be interfacing with their superiors or interfacing with their peers. There's these gaps in effective communication that raise other problems. When I can't communicate or feel like I can communicate with my superiors, that leads to all kinds of stuff. Thank you. And this might be maybe a little too dry or scientific, but what are your thoughts of cataloging or the skills and strengths of individuals in a team to be able to have that at the managers ready to be able to then delegate some of that work to be able to help them grow as well and to grow the team. I think that is a amazing idea. I think that for some of us, we need very tangible techniques, right? To help us make sense of some of the stuff that we deal with day to day. A lot of us don't really get formal training when we get promoted, right? So we just kind of are thrown to the wolves. So we have to develop skills and processes and systems that help us do well in our jobs. I think that that's in essence how I even got into the role I'm in now was because I had to develop these things at various settings over and over. And people would just come to me and say, hey, look, I'm having this issue. Do you have something that can help me with this? And et cetera, et cetera. I think that creating a database of people's strengths and weaknesses and what people say and their goals and things like that, I think only helps a person to A, be accountable, but B, just kind of maintain a database of opportunities. So if I know a person, if I'm managing Lamar and I know Lamar is, is great at public speaking, when opportunities come up where we'll need somebody to be an MC or a spokesperson, I'm going to probably go to him first because he's comfortable with speaking in front of people. Whereas another person may be really good at spreadsheets and reports. And if I need to implement that, I might want to contact them. I think that that's a great way to keep track of it, especially if you have a larger group. And one thing I've had to learn is some things that I might do well in naturally. Other leaders don't and vice versa. That particular suggestion is something that would be difficult for me because I do that same thing mentally, right? Like I can just kind of naturally know, oh, Christy's good at this. Let me talk to this person about this. But what you miss in doing that is sometimes the data points that will come up over and over. You miss certain patterns because you kind of just know what people, I'm very intuitive with that, but you need to have that logical component. You need to have that practical component to where, okay, uh, let's say for example, and this is an, an example I bring up in uh, one of the trainings, that I do on holistic leadership, if you have a person who is very contrary to your leadership style and they're complaining about what you don't do and things of that nature, 
but then you offer them opportunities and they don't take them. But you're not keeping track of the fact that you're you've been offering these opportunities and they're not accepting these opportunities. You're missing something there. Right. Maybe a person just likes to complain. Maybe a person doesn't need to be part of the team anymore. Maybe the person needs to be part of a different team. Right. Maybe you're approaching this differently. Some people say they want opportunities when they come. Maybe there's some apprehension there because they fear failing like there's so many other reasons as to why but we miss that when we don't track data right so i think that that suggestion along with whatever your personal leadership style is for me it's always been very intuitive it's always been very in touch with the people and connecting and that aspect of it but that has hindered me at various settings because i'm thinking i'm addressing an issue one way but if i had some data it's still showing something different and then sometimes things come up too late because we're not looking at the patterns of behavior. So I think that all of that and finding ways to track that in your own way. Some people spread cheese of this, some people mental Rolodex, some people need to write it down in the book, whatever. Right. But tracking these interactions so we can say, OK, do I feel like this is progressive or not? And I think that identifying the key performance indicators, what are we actually looking for? What outcomes are we looking for is, is just as vital because we can begin be spinning our wheels I and mean, we have two different outlooks on the same objectives. I think that, that starting from there, tracking it, and then again, through your own natural leadership style, using that to engage with the staff effectively, guiding these conversations with the data. Hey, look, I know you said that you wanted to move up in the company, but I've offered you this, this, this on this different projects and you haven't done it. Help me understand what a disconnect is. Now we have something to fall back on versus just kind of saying, oh, I've been noticing or I think some people can push back against that. But when you have the data along with your natural intuition, I think it just is the best marriage of, of the two. It's interesting during this past two plus years with the pandemic and many of us working remotely and that intentionality of the connectedness has to look different. Being able to just quickly drop by someone's office for a connection is a little bit more challenging when you're remote. Is there any one takeaway you would like to share from our conversation today for helping us as individuals and as managers to establish more resilience in our teams? For sure. Remembering that self-care and wellness is not a luxury, but it's really a necessity. Taking care of yourself or the phrase, you know, heal or heal thyself, I think is important for managers uh, being the example of leadership you would want to follow. We often encourage others to take PTO and we don't take it. We encourage others to go home early and we stay late. So just being an example of self-care and wellness and realizing that the work will be there. Like we tackle some of the largest problems that society has, whether it be health equity gaps, diversity, equity, and include just so many things that we have been tasked to work on for the greater good. And that means that these problems as vast as they are, will be there. So taking care of yourself helps you to, you know, better tackle these problems on a day to day. I think that that to me is probably the biggest takeaway. And to your point about adjusting to this hybrid environment past COVID, I've said this term throughout the course of our conversation. I'll reiterate being intentional, I think is just such a big deal. That's why I keep harping on it. When it comes to resilience, you have to be intentional about 
your resilience, intentional about taking care of yourself, intentional about being an example for your team, taking care of themselves so that when burnout inevitably comes and these overwhelming moments inevitably comes, you have systems and measures in place to not only support your staff, but support yourself. Being aware of who you are and realizing when you're reaching your capacity, okay, what is it that I can do to manage myself so that I can help manage this program or agency or my staff or whatever it is you're managing? Because we are leaders where we are, right? And I think that it's important to keep that in mind. And in this hybrid environment, being intentional about even maintaining these social connections, if we can't meet face to face, I don't have an iPhone, but just using this as an example. Hey, a quick phone call, quick FaceTime. Hey, let's just get on Microsoft Teams and chat for a minute. I just wanted to see how you're doing. Being again, very intentional about that. It's just, again, really important. So just realizing that your self-care and your wellness is important. And it doesn't have to be in conflict with managing a program or your job. Realizing that this helps me to do my job better. This weekend, I didn't do any work. I just didn't. I usually would have. I would have found a way to do something, especially, you know, when you move into the entrepreneurial space and all that stuff. I could have done something, but it was more important for me just to rest and be with my family. That's just what decision I chose to make. Now, does that mean it may be a little more work today? Yeah, for sure. But that's just part of it. But I'm better able to attack today than if I work throughout the weekend and I still have all the responsibilities I have today. So that's an example of just making a, a choice for my self-care instead of trying to push myself beyond this moving target of of hard work and some of this, you know, this hustle culture that we've exhibited where you don't sleep, you work through, you just grind through and all that. And all that sounds amazing. And I've been there, done that. As I mature, I realize that I'm far more productive when I get some sleep. I'm far more productive when I'm drinking some water and taking my walks and working out and spending time with my family and talking to my friends. Like the stuff I do for self-care makes me better at my job. So I would much rather be operating at 100% for less days out of the week than working seven days a week operating at 50. Like it just doesn't make sense and it's not sustainable. So yeah, I think all of those things, I know you said one, but To me, they all interrelate. So, you know, I think all of that, but being very intentional and being aware that your self-care and your peace is important. I think that that's great. Yes, woven throughout is the intentionality. I think also the modeling is definitely there as a manager, as a team member too. Thank you so much for the time today. Uh, I think that this has been such a wonderful conversation. It was really a pleasure to meet with you and to discuss this resilience for us and for our team members. And I really appreciate your time. No, thank you. I appreciate you for your time. And I look forward to continuing to be of service. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today, Lamar. That is all the time we have for today's episode. We hope you gathered useful and helpful takeaways from our conversation to help you mindfully manage and support your own well-being and resilience. Thank you to our listeners for joining us for yet another episode of the NACDD President's Challenge podcast. 